Welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legere. When I was in my 20s, I traveled a lot around the world. I had enriching and challenging experiences, exploring places like India and Cuba with different languages and cultures. I was on a volunteer placement in India and researching magazine and newspaper articles in Cuba. But I was still mostly just traveling, enjoying the act of exploring, seeing new places, and meeting people. So I was very intrigued to learn that major drilling CEO Denis Laroque, at the same age, was traveling a lot too. But at the same time as he was enjoying himself, meeting new people and exploring places, he was working full time, helping major drilling set up operations in different countries. It was one of the many interesting things I learned in my conversation with Denis, the CEO of the Moncton-based company with 3,500 employees and drilling operations on five continents. A publicly traded company with a market cap and stock price on the rise since the early day lows of the pandemic, Major Drilling is now exploring emerging opportunities in the green economy in particular. Well, let's get to my conversation with Denny. Hi, Denny. Hi, how are you? Very good. How are you doing today? Good. So where do I find you today, Denny? Uh, I'm sitting at my home in Moncton. We're working from home these days with the current situation, but it works well. It could be anywhere in the world anyway, so it works well for us. Have you been working from home since last March? Pretty much. Depending on the, you know, when we go in yellow, in the yellow zone, we typically uh, leave it to people uh, to come in the office. And I try to go in maybe half time and say hi to people, the ones that are that are coming in. Some Works better for them working from the office. Uh, it all depends on each uh, situation. And for me, I kind of do half and half when we're in, in the yellow zone. And so tell me at home, uh, what, what is your the situation like in your family? Uh, well, I've, I've got a, a daughter and a son. Uh, one's at university, one's at college, and they're doing their work uh, online so that takes a lot of bandwidth sometime we're both on on the we're all on on the internet and then uh, I've got my my spouse and and her son as well that are basically a son in high school and uh, my spouse is working uh, she's working uh, not at home at, at her at her workplace I'd like to start Denny by talking a little bit because I know a lot of people listening wouldn't be overly familiar with major uh, drilling and the scope of work that you do, but also about yourself and your own history with the company. Can we start by talking a little bit about how long have you been with the company and how did you start? Uh, well, I've been with the company for 26 years and uh, I came in the company when uh, we were looking at going public. We were basically uh, working at putting all the documentation uh, for uh, to do the, the IPO, the first public offering. And one day I was working for the, the accounting firm and the next morning uh, I came in on the payroll of the company just because... I, I was costing so much at uh, at the rate of the of the firm. They decided that uh, they 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 should have me on the payroll because I I, I still had uh, like six months of work to be done, and then so I thought it would be temporary. And uh, and I've been there for for 26 years and uh, basically just continued on uh, after we we did the public offering. And it's been a great ride. Have you had different kinds of roles within the company or have you been pretty much in the same kind of role the whole time? Oh, no. When when I started, I was just starting my career. I, I basically I was just, I, that was uh, I think I had three years uh, out of university. The first few years, uh, 
was spent, uh, well, the first four years was spent just going to set up branches around the world. Because once we became public, we had funds to grow the company. And with those funds, we had lots of demand all, all around the world. So I would go in, uh, I, I'd go in Argentina and set up a branch uh, with everything that, uh, that that entailed. And then uh, once that was set up, Sometimes I'd even get a call saying, well, don't bother coming back to Canada. Here's your here's your ticket to Chile. And then I'd go to Chile and go and set up a set up a branch. And uh, that was my early years in my career at major. And then basically from then on, uh, progressed to corporate controller, CFO. And uh, I became uh, CEO back in uh, 2015. Going back to those early years, that must have been a lot of fun as a person, you know, just starting out in their career to be traveling around the world, helping set up these new operations. Oh, definitely. I, I never, never even thought that I'd be doing that until I got my first ticket to go to Peru. And I had to look at look it up on the map exactly uh, when, when I was going. And then, uh, and like I said, all I, I I had a, an accounting background, but all of a sudden I had to learn HR because I was hiring employees. I was real estate. I was finding buildings uh, legal because I I was meeting the local lawyers and and setting up the corporate shell and and uh, just the operational aspect because we had to bid jobs and helping the local manager and everything. So it it was. It was a great learning experience. Uh, learning by baptism of fire. It was just like. Just uh, everything was new, and uh, but it, it you're right. It was it was fun. It it was a, a great time uh, those uh, those first five years. Yeah. So how how young were you when you started doing that work? Uh, I was uh, 25 when uh, when I, I started uh, traveling like that. And like I said, I'd be gone like 10 months a year. Just again, just uh, spending time uh, on site and, and learning and getting getting the business set up. When I, when I was around that age, uh, I was like you. I was I was traveling a lot like that, but I was mostly traveling. Uh, and you know, it's difficult enough orienting yourself to new countries when you're just a visitor. Uh, I'm trying to imagine uh, you being that age and. And not only do you have to adapt and, and learn about the places that you're going to, but you also have to, at the same time, be, you know, immersed in setting up the operations for, you know, a big company. Yeah. And I, I must say the big piece was the um, learning the business culture. You know, you, you land there and uh, and also you, you need to you need to go back 26 years ago. I mean, that's before Internet. That's before so you know we we didn't know much about the country itself other than you know you had to go read and and the country or knowing the culture but at the same time each country had their own i'd say individual business culture because it, the, the globalization had not really started so there was a lot of different ways of thinking and and ways of operating in in different countries and at that time, we had to adapt. Today, I would say it's uh, with uh, globalization and internet, and you know, like the thinking has come probably a lot closer everywhere. And in, in, in uh, I see a lot of similarities in in the way 
businesses conducted or, or, or people think. But back then, again, it was uh, it was a lot of differences to, that uh, needed to adapt to uh, uh, in, in those days. It must have been a very exciting time in your career. Oh, uh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Do you remember uh, just taking briefly back to those early days in, in say, in Peru? Did part of you wonder being on the plane going down there, you know, what have I got myself into? <laughs> well, I mean, there, there, there's even a story with that. My first trip to Peru is, uh, you know, there are those things where when you haven't done it, you just, there's things you don't think about. And language, I kind of hadn't thought about that. I I was going to Peru. I, my, it, I had to get a passport and get all of that organized, get a, a, a plane ticket. And uh, so I got on the plane and then when I got to Miami, that's where I heard Spanish all over. And then I, I thought, oh, my God, I don't understand a word. And that's where I'm going. And I need to. So I rushed into a library or a bookstore and I got I got a, just a dictionary, you know, Spanish to English. And I got on the plane and on the plane down to Peru, I tried to learn as much as I could. Uh, and then when I learned when I landed there, we were four hours late and my drive that was supposed to be there it was 4 a.m was not anywhere to be found and that's where i kind of learned as well in terms of okay uh you know how to get organized and and uh, find a find a taxi when you don't speak the language and uh trying to trying to you know get around so that was a uh, i must say uh yeah it was great first learning uh right off the bat uh first trip getting off the plane that it was a great uh, great learning experience <laughs> I, I remember the first trip uh major trip i took uh, i was on a cultural exchange in in india and of course there's 35 official languages in india i remember taking the flight over there and having my handbook on hindi uh, only to find out when i got there that i was heading to the southern part of the country where they don't speak it <laughs> at all yeah, so I, I had to toss away that language book and then and then pick up another one. But yeah, I know those those early experiences in traveling when you're trying to like navigate a new culture and and learn, and then in your case also be setting up operations for for a company as well um, is 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 uh, challenging and exciting. Obviously, in New Brunswick, we only have uh, you know a handful of of publicly traded companies. They're mostly privately held. Going back to that time, what what would have been the reasons for uh, major drilling to to want to or need to go public at that time? Well, at at that time, we were operating in Canada, but we were getting lots of demand for uh, to go abroad, and we had started an operation in. Uh, in Mexico and in Venezuela, but uh, we needed cash to basically fund all the demand we were getting. We were getting requests to go, well, like I mentioned, to Peru and to the, to Argentina and to Chile and, and other places. So by going public, it gave us the fund to be able to uh, finance that expansion. And that's exactly what we did. We, we used those funds to, we made a few acquisitions and as well, we made uh, we we financed uh, equipment purchases and and everything also needed to set up shop in in those areas. So for us, it was basically what really helped us grow beyond uh, the, the the Canadian market. And and so in this kind of industry and with that kind of growth plan, 
very difficult to to finance it without being being publicly traded. Yeah, and especially at that time, again, you know, when you you roll back the clock 26 years ago, financing equipment going to Peru, it was hard to find. Banks uh, banks were were not as international as they are today, and uh, although they they did have presence, it was still difficult to get them to be comfortable with a machine going to to uh, Peru or Mexico or or, or other countries like that. So at that time for us that was the right the right way to go to finance our, our expansion. Now I know uh, you you would have joined the company you know 26 years ago and I I know the company was was uh, founded in 19, 1980 so that predates your time there. But can you tell me a little bit about how the company started and how it's grown over the years? Yeah, well, the, the company started in 1980 in uh, in Bathurst. At that time, if you remember, there was the Brunswick mine, and the Brunswick mine became the biggest zinc mine in the world. And uh, at that time, the um, individual that had the company, uh, Ron Gogan, basically he bought the shares of other players and created a company that became major based in Bathurst and uh, with the boom that uh, we saw at Brunswick Mine, he used that, uh, the funds from that to buy another big player in Quebec, well, two uh, players in in Quebec. And that's where the company started to grow and became a a, a big player in Canada. And again, uh, right up to the uh, mid nineties where then uh, he took took it uh, internationally. How many countries do you operate in around the world right now? We're registered in 20 countries around the world. We've got we've got offices in 14 of them, and the the others are kind of we kind of operate in and out from a base around. So, uh, but really registered in in 20 countries around the world. And how many employees now? We're over 3,000 employees uh, at this point, and growing. Things are just picking up in the industry, and things are growing. And how many in Moncton? In Moncton, it's a small office in relative terms to the company and also in terms of head offices for a company of this size. We're we're 44, uh, 45 employees uh, in the Moncton. It's made up mostly of uh, there's the, the corporate team, uh, there's the IT. We've got a, a big IT uh, team that basically covers all our IT needs around the world. Uh, and all our basically supporting all, all our systems. And then um, and then the Canadian uh, administrative office is uh, uh, the, the administrative uh, accounting and everything is uh, ran out of Moncton. How have things changed in terms of what you were mining for when you first joined it with how things have changed to today? Gold and copper have always been a big part of what we do. It's always been around 75%. The, the part that has changed is, uh, is the other 25% that I, I call flavor of the day because in the past we've drilled for coal, for iron ore, for diamonds. Uh, when, you know, diamond, Canadian diamond mines, you know, people were looking uh, frantically for Canadian diamond mines. And then uh, evolved to uranium when your uranium was booming. And nowadays you're basically uh, looking at lithium and cobalt and uh, nickel has always been a bit part of uh, of what we do but 
when you think of lithium, cobalt, and nickel, uh, basically you think of uh, battery metals, and which is the uh, again when I talk about flavor today, it's this is these are uh, these are all in big demand. So so for us, we drill for uh, metals, not for oil. So and it it doesn't really matter what uh, metal we drill for. The technique is pretty much the same. Uh, it's just a matter of who's looking to explore uh, at a certain time. And like I said, battery metals is is uh, certainly a popular popular metal these days that people are are looking for, and that includes copper, of course. Right, and and it has a lot of the shift had to do with the growing uh, popularity of of electric vehicles. Oh, absolutely. And I think we're just at the beginning of that. I mean, even even yesterday, uh, Biden announced, you know, some big investments coming in the green economy, which means electric cars, electric buses. And uh, and there's lots of uh, lots of money going into municipal buses around the world uh, that are going to be become electric and in an electric car, electric bus. There's three and a half more times uh, copper than a, in a regular car. So that's a lot of copper that's going to be needed. And then all of those need a battery. So then, again, you talk about lithium and nickel and cobalt. And when you look at those those batteries that, that are a bit different than your regular battery, the, when you read on it, it's always always says either nickel, lithium or cobalt or or three, all three of them. So that's basically what we're seeing. How long has that been on your radar as, as a company, as a growth opportunity for you? Copper is 25% of what we do. There's a big supply shortage of copper around the world that has been there for the last couple of years and only increasing. And that's a factor of there hasn't been any exploration done over the last uh, six years. And but at the same time, there's been a lot of copper that has been used. So therefore, the mines have been depleted, but have not been replaced to the point where now we're looking at a big demand of copper coming and mines have been depleted. So there is a lot of exploration needed. It takes 10 to 15 years to bring a mine into production. So we're already behind the eight ball in terms of replacing all the copper that's going to be needed. And that's where we see a lot of uh, possibilities of growth for us, uh, for our services in copper, because uh, I think it's just a question of time that uh, we're going to see a big rush uh, for copper and copper prices uh, will follow suit. And and then you're going to see lots of Lots of investment into uh, building new mines for for copper because also you talk about electric uh, vehicles, but uh, you know copper. Your iPhone has a lot of copper in it, and uh, anything that's electric or electronic, basically copper is the main uh, main metal in there, and uh, so. So lots of copper that's going to be needed in, in the future to keep uh, fueling with uh, all our needs. Around the world, where are the biggest sources of copper? Chile is a big is a big market. Chile is the the biggest market, but uh, there's all these uh, pockets sometimes where it's found. For example, we found uh, 
one of the biggest copper mine in the middle of the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. We started, again, to my point about takes 10 to, 10 to 15 years to build a mine. We started drilling in early 2000 in, in Mongolia, and then it only turned into a mine a few a couple of years ago. So it took 15 years from early exploration to the time they started to produce copper. So Mongolia is another place, but again, very localized in terms of the deposit. Congo, uh, middle of Africa, in the middle of Africa, Congo, Zambia, uh, there is a, a lot of, it's copper rich countries. Uh, but Chile is the is the big one. And in Canada, I mean, there is some copper in Canada as well. It's surprising because we, when we think of, you know, when the average person thinks about mining, we don't think of the potential contribution to, say, reducing greenhouse gas emissions through what's mined and, and how it's then repurposed. You, you talk about mines and in the past, mines sometimes have got it a, a bad name. But uh, two things uh, over the over the years, mines have uh, really, really improved in terms of how they operate and in uh, the, the the environmental footprint. But also to your point, you, you think about green economy and all the electric vehicles and your iPhone and everything. Well, all of that needs copper, and there's only one way to produce it, and it's, it's to mine it. So that is part of building a, a, a greener economy, which uh, is going to come through all those metals. Going back to the beginning of, of the uh, pandemic, talk to me a little bit about how your global operations have been affected in terms of how much you've had to slow down, shut down, uh, press pause on things, and then then restart things. Oh, it had a big impact because, I mean, uh, uh, there was a lot of projects around the world that stopped for us. Uh, in Canada, for example, we lost 70% uh, of our business almost overnight uh, back in March and to the point where, you know, we were sitting here, say, you know, thinking in like many businesses, okay, what's next? How long or will it ever change? Or is this the end? Like you, you're just... And then uh, for a lot of our employees um, getting up in the morning, you know, in their mind, they were thinking, am I going to have a job by the end of the day? And so one thing one thing we did very early on in March, beginning of April is we, we came out and let our employees know. We said we're not going to make any moves, not any layoffs, any wage reductions for at least three months so that we wait and see. Uh, what what's going to happen. And that went a long way in terms of just mental health when you know that, okay, for the next three months, I don't need to worry about my job, about my family, about well-being. I just, you know, let's just keep at this uh, and, uh, you know, focus on uh, on what's important. And for us, it, it was a, a great move because it helped on retention as well because our, our company is based, it's a service company after all, and it's based on, on its people. Having good people in place is, is what's key to, uh, to our success. In a very complex thing with a, a global environment, right? With, with employees in so many places around the world. It, it is, and also there is a lot of traveling involved. I mean, we talked about, and earlier we talked about traveling, well, all, all our projects are not, they're not downtown Toronto. 
they're in the you know they're in the uh, north of northern of Canada or they're in remote areas uh, like I mentioned you know the, the Gobi Desert. So getting there is uh, you need to jump on planes. You need to uh, so lots of traveling. So you can just imagine the um, the logistical issues uh, to operate these days. And in, in, I must commend our, our our people. They're doing a great job at at managing that uh, juggling uh, with all those uh, logistics. We've had to reshuffle sometimes uh, people. We, we had uh, sometimes people from Manitoba that were working in Ontario because of their expertise was more suited to the Ontario project. Well, now they might be working on the Manitoba project. And then in Ontario, we got and, and sometimes we might not have the, the you know, uh, the optimum use of our resources, but it, it's it, at the same time, people are learning new skills and it's uh, it's it's. You know, it's still it's still working out for us. And again, you know, our people have been have been great to deal with uh, this uh, challenge that's been thrown at us. Because travel is is so important to keep that sense of communication and unity with the company. Um, you talked a lot about how you had traveled a lot earlier in your career. That must have continued all the way throughout. Eh? Or, or has has being grounded. By the t- pandemic, uh, how has that affected you? <laughs> yeah, I at first it was great spending more time at at home, uh, being uh, you know being being around uh, uh, the family and and uh, spending ta- time uh, spending time with them, and so it it, it was great. Uh, it's still great, but there are days where you know, you don't feel as connected to the operations anymore because you don't get the, uh, there is a lot to be said for, uh, for me, traveling, you get a lot out of conversations uh, over dinner or uh, uh, just uh, after work over a beer or driving to a job in the car. You learn a lot about the business and about the people just with those things face to face and get doing that on Zoom is absolutely not the same. So I I feel that there's a little bit of that that is getting lost in terms of just the human touch. And like I said, we are a service company, so uh, based on on people and and stuff. So uh, so looking forward to reconnect with uh, with our people out there for sure. It, it, it's just occurring to me that the uh, the last interview I did with was with a musician from Fredericton, uh, David Miles. The echoes are very strong because he his whole life changed, right? Because he made his living touring and then suddenly found himself at, at home uh, with his family in Halifax. But then he moved back to Fredericton. And, and it strikes me that you would have experienced the same kind of shift of being on the road all the time and then finding yourself uh, at home with your family more yeah and like i said there is there is a, a lot of positives that came out of that connecting uh, more uh, more with them and, and everything so it's uh, it's it's all good do you see big shifts happening coming out of the pandemic you know both in the ways that you operate as a company and in, in terms of uh, your global operations, but also uh, what the future looks like uh, in, in terms of the growth potential. 
already when we moved in into 2020, I, me I mentioned there was six years of lack of exploration. So we had six really tough years that we went through. And uh, when we moved into, well, in January, just a year ago, we were looking at 2020 and, and seeing a lot of potential growth coming from the gold sector and the copper sector and the other sectors. And then it all came to a halt. But all that all that work is still out there to be done and uh, as things are starting to come back uh, from the pandemic that demand is is just uh, is a pent-up demand it's coming and uh, and I think it's going to be here for a while the um, previous site mining cycles basically from 98 to 2004 we had almost no exploration and then from we went from 2004 to 2012 with eight years of growing and growing in demand for for exploration just because uh the world had run out of copper and nickel and zinc and gold the same thing is happening right now and uh and then you you lay on top of that what the pandemic has done is now governments are going to be rushing out to want to put their economies back on track. And a lot of that is going to be done through infrastructure investments. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, while you, you talk Biden are pushing or they might have uh, they, they might have already approved a one trillion to be spent on infrastructure. And a lot of that is being said to be spent on uh, green economy. So you just and then Canada is looking at doing the same. Europe has already said they were going to invest a lot more into uh, electric. Uh, China has said the same. So there is a big lack of supply of metals at the same time. And there's a big demand of metals that's coming and all of that. It can only spur uh, a, a big uptick in demand for exploration for many years to come. So that's kind of what we're looking at. And we're getting ready for this uh, as a company as we speak. I've noticed that uh, the year stock price has risen a lot since since March, since last year. There's been a rise there. Is, does that account for that? That's that sort of optimism about the future of the industry? Uh, yeah, a little bit of both. There. It has risen from March because March had got beaten down quite a bit because of COVID. So we, we recovered some of that, but now it has moved uh, beyond that. And exactly because the industry, the mining industry and the, the investors are recognizing the need for exploration in their migrating to, to our stock. I mean, we are for investors, we are a great way if people uh, buy into the thesis that we're going to need more metals in the future, but you don't want to be exposed to any specific mines or metal or we are a great way to play the mining sector because we we basically drill for all of them and uh, will benefit from an uptick in the mining sector without the risk of a mine or a, or a, or a specific country or a, or a, or a commodity. I know a lot of your operations are global with that head office in Moncton. Where do you see major drilling's place kind of in the New Brunswick economy? I mean, we don't talk a lot about the publicly traded companies that are that are in the province. Um, do you are a lot of people still curious about the way you operate and the way you're structured? Yeah, I, not necessarily in New Brunswick, but in uh, in, in the investment uh, 
uh, we get a lot of questions from investors or, or customers and they say, why are you in New Brunswick? It's historical. We don't have any operations anymore in, in the Maritimes. We uh, Once in a while, we might bring a couple of rigs to drill on a mining project. Uh, we did one in Nova Scotia just recently, and but really, We've got 600 rigs around the world, so like I say, very, very little work in the maritime. So it's just the head office that is still here, and there's no reason for the head office to be in New Brunswick anymore. But uh, I always say, if we were, uh, we were able to attract some very good talent. There's some very good talent that want to stay. We are fairly big company operating globally. We're able to attract some good people, but if we were based in a big center, uh, we'd be a really small fish, basically just competing with all kinds of other businesses with the same profile, whereas we were a bit unique in, in New Brunswick. So for us, it's a, it's a good place to be, to have our, our head office uh, uh, here in Moncton. You must feel very fortunate personally too, uh, you know, knowing that a company like this could now be headquartered anywhere for it still to be headquartered in, in Moncton, uh, especially where you would have other deep involvements in the community. Yeah. And, uh, and I must say with COVID now, what it has made a lot of companies realize is that it doesn't matter where your head office is, really. When you think about all the Zoom calls we're making and all the you know, and we're all working from home. So does it really matter where you're, where you, you really have a, a, a sign on the door? Uh, I mean, it all depends. You need to be close to your customers, but when you're a global uh, company uh, or you're not necessarily uh, facing your, your customers out of your home office or your head office, you could be anywhere, and uh, so I would, I would say, and even even to our governments, this is probably a good time to try to attract head offices to the Maritimes because it's uh, with the technologies now and uh, the cost of operating in the Maritimes is much lower than you would downtown Toronto. There's a lot of people uh, moving out of big centers now because. Uh, you know, they realize that, you know, there's a quality of life uh, over here. Well, just just think of our, our stats uh, compared to our COVID stats compared to the big, big cities where you're all bunched up together. So so there is a lot of value in terms of having a, a head office uh, in in uh, in the Maritimes, I feel. With your employee base in Moncton, uh, are most of them from the region or do you have a lot of people that have moved, uh, you know, for skill set reasons that you were looking for, had a lot of pe- people move in from the outside? I would say 95% are from are from the area. And we had a, a, a few that uh, basically moved in uh, because their role kind of uh, had them uh, move to the region. But uh, even those that moved uh, love the region. When you can get back on a plane again, where would you look most forward to going to? What are some of your favorite countries? Because I know that you've traveled uh, to a lot of places around the world with the company. Yeah, I, my favorite country is Brazil. I spent a lot of time personally in Brazil. I have uh, friends over there and um, and I, I really like the culture. Uh, 
But I must say, each country has something special. I, I, I meet a lot of great people. It's all about the people. And, uh, and before I started traveling, I had preconceived, uh, you know, it was us versus them. It was, uh, you know, uh, here, you know, we're much better than or we're in much better shape than other places. And, and when I started traveling, that's where I realized that there's a lot of good people and also they might not think like us, but sometimes I, it made me think about question or uh, sometimes the way we think uh, because lots of different ways of, of thinking and it's um, it's it's great to, to, to travel and, and just meet people from all kinds of uh, all kinds of cultures. And I, I'm sure you you learn a lot and bring a lot back. It you know it makes me think you know because for a lot of us in in New Brunswick and it's the same in Moncton, same in St. John, Fredericton, Halifax, we're all very much focused on how to grow the economies of our own communities and strengthen our own communities. And with major drilling, you're literally dealing with communities all over the world that you're trying to help strengthen and build through your companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is a big piece. I always say. The only way for us to be successful is to be involved in the communities where we operate uh, because we we hire locally. And again, if you want to attract good people, well, you, you want to have a, a good name and be seen as a good a good citizen. And that that's what attracts. It's not necessarily, you know, the job or the it uh, people want to work for a company that that they feel does does good and uh, so that is a big part of of uh, of, uh, of what we do is to be to, to your point to be involved in the communities where we operate. Given the number of countries that you've been to and operated in, uh, what is it that you that you personally value about Moncton? What do you love about the Moncton region? I, I would compare it more to the to the big centers where Moncton. I always say you've got all the the advantages of the big centers without the big disadvantages uh, like, uh, you know, like the traffic and also, you know, cost of living. And uh, you, you can get the, a, a nice house in Moncton. I have a few few neighbors that have moved in from Toronto and they just can't believe the, the you know, kind of house they were able to to afford versus the little apartment they had downtown Toronto and things like that. And then and you can you can get in your car and and within a few minutes be in the in the nature and and do things so uh so all of that uh for me it's 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 all what makes uh makes it good and in all about quality of living are there things that you've been able to do spending more time in moncton uh while spending more time outside i think for most people it's uh you know, you, you wake up on a Saturday morning and you say, so what do we do today? And then you end up going for a walk in the woods or going uh, going for a run or, or, or things like that. So, yeah, it's reconnecting. Uh, I would say reconnecting with nature and uh, and with family again, you know, spending time. Uh, uh, I, I've been playing more board games uh, than uh than I've ever before than ever before and it's all great we're having great fun <laughs> yeah my uh somebody I work with was was just talking this morning about how much monopoly she's played in the last uh month 
Yeah. Well, Denis, I hope there's a, a hike in a mountain in Peru in your near future. Oh, I hope so too. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the latest episode of Huddle Home Office. And thank you, Denis, for that great chat. A Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legier, and Sharice Letson. And a special thanks to Inda Intiar, a reporter in Moncton, who did a great feature a couple of weeks ago on major drilling with an interview with Denis Larocque that was the inspiration for this interview. You can find Inda's article on huddle.today. Just search for Moncton's major drilling well-positioned for electric vehicle boom. And we will talk to you next week.